You're listening to the Nonstop Talent Show, a podcast about recruitment, HR, life, and everything in between. Brought to you by International Recruitment Consultancy, Nonstop Consulting. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what we hope is the first of a long series of discussions about all things recruitment. I'm Sarah, the Nonstop's Marketing Communications Manager, and to start this series off with a bang, I'm here with our two client services director, Matthew Beadle and Giulio Segantini, who have a combined experience of over 20 years in the industry. Uh, as a recruiter, Giulio was initially focused on the Italian pharmaceutical industry. He grew a division to cover the whole spectrum of life sciences, uh, and for the last few years he's been focusing on managing teams with more of a European and US focus. Uh, Matt has been focusing on life sciences for probably over 10 years now. He's got a very impressive Dell sheet of senior hires, mostly in the Swiss pharmaceutical industry. Uh, In addition, he's a former chair of the Association of Professional Staffing Companies Life Sciences Sector Group. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. (laughs) So we're going to start with an easy one, I guess. we keep hearing these phrases such as candidate short markets and that basically that companies are struggling to find the talent they need. Uh, what do you guys think about this? And, and what do you think are the main challenges in life sciences recruitment in Europe right now? Julio, maybe let's start with you. Thank you. Uh, look, obviously it's a very popular trend on LinkedIn on anyone talking about recruitment, about the so-called talent shortage or the great resignation. I personally think that. Uh, the main problem the companies are facing is the fact that they have not really adapted to the post-pandemic world. A lot of companies just thought they could go back to the way things were and obviously they find that the market has drastically changed. So if I had to pick like two main issues that I keep seeing is the company themselves are stuck in their previous ways of uh, handling the employees, maybe from the homeworking perspective or other types of flexibility, or even from the salary binding that they had. And the other thing I've noticed is that uh, obviously when there's such a high need of candidates, what happens is that candidates don't look around as much because they get contacted a lot. And I don't think that many companies adapted to becoming more proactive in actually hunting the candidates or at least the top talent. Okay, okay. Matt, what do you think? Do you agree with Julio or, or do you think there are other obstacles? Well, I think maybe to answer your initial question, I mean, it is a real thing in terms of there is candidate short markets and issues. So, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry in particular is quite heavily reliant on STEM skill graduates, people who are doing sciences, mathematics, a lot of technical degrees. And these degrees have not been struggling for numbers for decades now. So I think there's there's no surprise that there is a, a lag of a lack of skilled people, in, at least in Europe, uh, for a lot of the pharmaceutical companies. As to where it applies, it's not always so clear. So I think there are some areas which aren't candidate short and some that are. So I think clients certainly, I think it's very easy to just say there's a candidate shortage in all areas. Well, it's just not, it just depends on the subsector. What, what are you seeing as some of the areas that are maybe not quite so short right now versus the ones that are short? Well, a, a very quick example. So let's say companies in Switzerland hiring for pre-approval regulatory affairs people. This is desperately short market. There's a very limited supply of candidates who have a skill set. And it is very high demand for the, the skill. So you've always got five companies fighting over one candidate, which obviously leads to 
a lot of companies being disappointed or not getting the resources that they want. Um, at the same time, a company might be hiring for supply chain manager or finance manager in pharma in Switzerland, and they'll have 200 applicants. So I think it, it probably does depend on the subsector. And I guess my, my opinion is that I think companies probably need to address which areas specifically um, are the, let's say, low like low supply parts of their organization and apply a different methodology for the recruiting for that. Because you can't, if you've got a TA strategy and you're treating finance jobs the same way as reg affairs and the same as clinical, um, you're going to have some shortcomings because of that, because they're not the same. Uh, everything's down to supply and demand and the supply and demand is changing across all the subsectors, basically. Are you guys seeing maybe any companies with um, particularly innovative uh, attraction techniques or strategies to overcome these kinds of things? Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, the companies, they can help a little bit with the supply. So I do see, obviously, a lot of pharma companies, uh, some of them anyway, are actually helping graduates at university stage. So they're actually trying to get talent before it, the talent's even graduated. So they're actually approaching universities. Um, they're actually supporting people who join them or internally to take degrees, MBAs, um, paying for education in some cases. So that's, that's a way that some companies have actually proactively been helping with the supply. Um, in terms of the demand side, I mean, ultimately, I think all companies have to be as attractive as possible. If they're competing with five other companies for that talent, uh, they need to understand what people want and they have to play with what they can within reason to to keep these people, but not just as a gimmick as well. I think a lot of companies might have gimmicks to get people to join, but if if there's no real meat on the bone, if they're not actually a good place to work, if they're not actually delivering long-term gratification of of the people who are working for them, then these people are just going to leave after two years anyway. And then they're just going to have people... Basically, you're saying, following up... I didn't quite hear that, Sarah, sorry. So you're saying it's more about the following up on the the initial promises, essentially? A bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Julio, are are you seeing something similar? I mean, look, what what Matt is definitely bang on the money regarding the, the types of strategy you can have. Obviously... Developing your own supply, i.e. organic growth, is without a doubt in any type of industry, not even pharma, is obviously a very solid strategy to have uh, very strong growth. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we keep growing ourselves is because we constantly, let's say, building our own talent pool. Obviously, that's a long-term strategy and not all companies uh, have got the vision or let's say the resources to put into practice at least easily. Uh, in terms of what you mentioned of, uh, let's say, new things I've seen or new technologies or new, let's say, trends, a couple of things that I've noticed that are pleasant. For example, like, from the marketing perspective, you have um, the, the video advertising that I've seen a lot more. So you can see like these videos presenting the company themselves or even advertising a specific job, which obviously videos got the highest uh, content engagement that you can possibly have. Is one of the reasons why obviously we're doing this ourselves. And at the same time, like companies actually selling themselves like that gives a very authentic feeling that I think could help some of these clients to stand out. Uh, the other thing I've seen that, again, very, very pleasant, not so much in the pharma industry, maybe a bit more in the IT sector, is uh, a bit of a restyling of how the adverts look. Many adverts in recruitment are honestly boring. Uh, there are about, uh, this is us 
it's all about us. This is what the person will do. This is what we offer. And I've seen a lot more like adverts that are reselling like, this is what you will live through if you join a company, which obviously will stand out in all the other adverts. So again, the long term obviously should be organic growth, giving people what they want, listening to your employees in the market. But in the short term, there are some interesting techniques such as this one that can definitely spike the candidate input. Would you say that this um, change to the way people are writing job ads, does this lead back to the point you made before about adapting to a post-pandemic world? Or has this been kind of going on for a bit longer than that? Look, uh, obviously, uh, even if even Bill Gates mentioned it at a certain point, something like the pandemic will shock the world. It's like a slap on the face that forces you to wake up. So there were a lot of things that were in the making, like the idea of the homeworking flexibility, the idea of doing things virtually. All these things were in the making. The pandemic simply accelerated the, the, the process. So in terms of this, there were some companies that were already thinking forwardly, and obviously they're getting the most out of this. At the same time, I do think that it's a, a combination of the, of the two let's say, situations. Okay. And Matt, you mentioned something before about companies need to understand what people want um, in order to essentially um, offer them what what they want. How can companies understand what their prospective applicants want in a job? I mean, I'd say, first of all, it's just looking at their own employees, ultimately, because if if they talk to their own employees, they'll probably understand what they like about the company and how to best present themselves and what they can better improve from the hiring perspective. Um, outside of that, obviously there are some, I think, generational changes. You've got like millennials and you've got Gen Z. And I think we, we are getting to, people are changing, the dynamics are changing. And I think companies have to at least start to take it on board. It doesn't mean they have to action it, but at least if you understand what you're dealing with, if you know the applicants are more, likely to be reachable via WhatsApp or TikTok or Instagram, whatever it might be, then you should be using these areas or you should be exploring it. If you're just stuck in the past, like Julia said, or just the same adverts, the same approach, the same job boards, the same interview process, um, ultimately you're going to fall behind companies who are thinking a little bit further ahead. And and that's, I mean, I think that's quite obvious in, in terms of what's happening out there. And the bigger companies are great. They've got the big names. They're going to attract lots of people anyway. But there's certainly the smaller companies, the medium-sized companies, the companies that people don't know of or haven't maybe got such a big reputation or marketing presence, they're the ones who really have to, in, especially in candidate short markets, should be really thinking above and beyond. Clearly, recruiters can help them with that, and that's part of the strategy. I think in some areas you're going to have to always have recruiters. Because uh, there's no way a TA person can be a specialist in 20 different markets. Uh, it just isn't feasible. Uh, and there's a lot of TA people I know who have got 30 jobs at, at, at a time, consistently all year round. Uh, so part of it is actually understanding the recruiters you want to work with. And then outside of it, for your own TA strategy, for incoming recruiting, are you actually on the right platforms? Uh, have you listened to your employees? Have you talked to people who are actually applying to jobs, what their impressions are? There's very basic questions I think could be asked and surveys that at least kick things off. Okay. Yeah, those are great points. I when you're talking about like TikTok and stuff, for example, obviously that that's something that I imagine would work for those more kind of entry level kind of roles. But what about say if we're looking for a, a 
global director of regulatory affairs, for example, they're probably not going to be on TikTok, right? Like, how could companies uh, find the right person for that kind of role, the more senior kind of level? I mean, I'll be fair, I'm not on TikTok, so <laughs> so I'm not an expert on this, but maybe you can, maybe, just maybe, you can get senior people via these platforms. Nearly, nearly everyone, even senior people on Instagram, Facebook, all these things. So th there is the fact that you can maybe have some influence there, but obviously, for now, it's most of the senior people are going to be quite visible. So the, probably the need to go to that level isn't necessary just yet. Most people are going to be on LinkedIn or they're going to be known from the conferences or from the network. So I think for senior roles, probably is still more a case of maybe a more traditional approach. But I don't think that's necessarily has to be the, the case. And we can be jumping to conclusions of saying that's the same old as before. Um, potentially actually exploring other ways to contact people via these new platforms is, is at least worth exploring. But again, I'm not on TikTok, so <laughs> I, can't, I can't necessarily be an expert on that. But I, I'm, I'm certain there'll be IT companies and maybe areas in California and stuff where they'll already be hiring ta talent via other platforms. They'll already be thinking of their brand advertising and it wouldn't surprise me if there's more and more senior people who are more accessible in this area. I mean, if I may interject on this, I, I think it's very similar to the, the acquisition strategy for candidates. We, we can talk about short term and long term. Obviously, the global sales director of a company will be on LinkedIn, so he can be headhunted. But we're in, we're in a situation that there's uh, 15 vacancies for him. At a certain point, he's just going to start ignoring the messages on LinkedIn is going to start ignoring the calls. It'll be like, I'm happy where I am. I think in the, in the short term, obviously, hiring a very skilled hunter like yourself, who knows everyone in regulatory affairs, will be a very easy way in. In the longer term, again, generally, high-value people tend to have something in common is that they keep informed and they read a lot. So again, what a lot of these companies are doing, even medium-size or big-size, are actually producing content, are actually putting themselves out there so that these people are aware about them and want to work with them before they even get contacted because that's where half the battle is fought. So again, it might not be about TikTok for a global sales director, but it, it, it might still be on Instagram. It might be on Medium. It might be on Quora. It might be on Reddit. All like different social media platforms that actually can spread the brand not just by advertising or not just by putting a video. So I think it's, uh, again, long-term long -term strategy is to make yourself known and people wanting to work with you before you even get approached. And the short-term, mid-term could be you hire some really good advantages or a talent acquisition person with great networks and great teams so that they can supply in the meantime. At least this would be my reasoning. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and that comes down to more TA strategy and process, right? Is there anything within the typical recruitment process that you think uh, companies generally can can fine tune to provide a better candidate experience, for example, or cut through the noise and make sure out of those fifteen recruiters that are contacting this one guy, they stand out? I think me and Matt can provide several examples. <laughs> I mean, from the top of my head, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is I have seen some ridiculous interview processes. Okay. Uh, even for mid-level or even junior people, four or five interviews. 
And sometimes the interviews literally just meet me and uh, that's okay. And that kind of feels like I've, I've seen candidates just be like, you know what, I've had six interviews. I'd, if there's going to be a seventh, maybe this is just, it just shows that the process is so monolithic that they'll start to think, imagine the first time I need to get an expense approved, I need three people to sign it. So that would be like, for me, the candidate experience should be something smooth. Another thing that comes into my mind immediately is that, uh, again, this with the market change. It, okay, there might be a lot of power still in the clients and because they hire you, but people have to choose to work for you. And I still get sometimes feedback of people showing up at the interview and uh, not being very friendly, not making the person want to work for them. It's like they're testing them. And I'm like, okay, yes, you can test the person. Uh, then the person is going to think that coming to work for you is going to be constantly a test. It's not going to be a friendly environment. And a lot of the time, people will pick based on the perceived match with the culture and the people they're going to meet. So these two things, I think, would make everyone's hiring life a lot simpler. So if we had to sum up, you're, you're saying maybe the hiring managers and the companies should think about what they're, the, the, what they're selling back to the candidate as part of the process? 100%. I, I do agree. Uh, I think that this is probably the main issue uh, that I think some companies face is in terms of convoluted processes that make no sense, uh, that are too slow, uh, they lose candidates. And I think some of those companies are doing this because they're obviously they've been burned in the past. They've made one bad hire. And therefore, after that, they're, they're adding extra levels of, of interview and testing and everything. And to some extent, you obviously have to have vetting. No one, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But the, I think it's a case, case of what's the, the greater evil, having one or two people who maybe weren't quite right or not getting anyone at all or losing loads of really good people. And ultimately, the people who some companies hire who don't work out might have just got through anyway. I, th I think sometimes companies are far too quick to blame their process for the hiring uh, you just can't have a perfect process. There's always going to be some people who just will not fit in or they change before they join. Like w w People are the most, I'm gonna, not going to say irrational, but we're, we're certainly people are, are not uh, very predictable and w recruitment's full of surprises. You just can't avoid it. So I think companies have to just accept that, first of all. And just to add to really what Julia says, I mean, the one thing I've seen improve a lot, actually, is that companies are generally selling themselves better now mm -hmm. uh, compared to, let's say, five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, most companies will, everyone in the interview process more or less will or should be able to sell their business. But that's still not always the case. So I, I think any advice I'd give to companies is anybody who's interviewing should be able to sell their company and their job. There's a bare minimum, and they need to be saying the positives about this to the candidates. Um, it can't just be an interrogation. It can't just be a one-way street, as, as Julia said. Otherwise, uh, a lot of people will, they, it doesn't mean they might not be interested, but there's another company they're interviewing at who are a lot more passionate. They're explaining their development, why they're good, what's the positives of business, and they're much more likely to take that offer instead. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. What about looking to the future now? Do you guys um, foresee any particular issues for the next, say, two to five years in terms of uh, life sciences recruitment? I mean, I, Sorry, I have no. one thought in general, which is, I think it's just, and this is just a life science, I think it's recruitment in general. I think this is going to become information overload. I, there's going to be so many jobs, so much 
so many different areas to look that candidates uh, like everyone thinks okay like everyone everyone was be found through linkedin and not now but it's just they're going to have so many different areas of attack different jobs coming from different recruiters so many areas to look at so many different job boards uh, if anything it might actually make recruiting even harder all this option and all this choice um so i, I can't I can't say for sure, but I, I already see it now. If, if I look into jobs online for regular affairs or QA, or whatever it is, it's it's a mess. There's just jobs all over the place, and there's like ten pages of different areas. So it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of companies are just not going to get the people they want. Okay, Julio, what do you think? I, I of course I completely agree with Matt. I think uh, generally cutting for the noise is going to be one of the mantras of. Uh, the general capitalistic world in the next 10 years, most likely. I would add two things that I could make as a educated guess. First one is that the clients that will not adapt and will not start now implementing a long-term strategy, because they were always too busy to plan that much ahead, but that ends up obviously adding up. It's like not paying off your debts, the interest builds up over time. So what will happen is that a lot of these clients, they'll just end up paying more for talent. Because at the end of the day, if you've got nothing else to go through, at a certain point, you're going to have to pay higher. And what this could do is that it could give a bit of a domino effect, which is already quite, probably the, the most difficult market to recruit for in the world is IT. There is not really any argument about it. And the IT industry is already seeing the salaries raised by 30% in the space of two years. So essentially, the risk of this is that if this happens, obviously, in the pharma sector as well, then we'll have uh, people that are much more paid than they should be. And consequently, people that aren't as qualified will still get a job because clients are desperate. So that would just lower the overall quality. Now, a potential solution out of this is, well, solution is more the a potential adapt, adaptation of the market will be that the actual outsource solutions will grow in terms of uh, actually all the consultancies like Icuvia and such have been growing like crazy over the, the pandemic period as well. Because obviously, if you can't find the talent, what will happen is that you might as well pay uh, a consultancy to hire them for you. Now, that doesn't figure the problem. The, the consultancy also needs a lot of stuff. But at the same time, it, it, makes, it might create a specific growth in another market instead of like companies might just decide to give up and give things in outsourcing, which again, is probably going to impact the the overall company functioning in the longer term as well. Okay, makes sense. So other than uh, implementing a, a long-term strategy or considering working with consultancies, do you have any other tips for companies to kind of stay ahead of the curve with this? Look, generally speaking, uh, again, it's what I started with the conversation. The idea of we've always done things this way is the single most dangerous phrase in business. Uh, we are we live in unprecedented times, pandemic, war, uh, potential recession around the corner. The main logic is, again, to try and stay ahead and try to innovate. If your competitors are doing something and it's working, chances are you need to adapt. Now, even think one step ahead if possible. So I think that's probably the best way to go about this. But then, again, as Matt was mentioning, the, uh, the, the processes as well need to be Put to a much simpler standard. People don't like complicated things. It doesn't matter how big your company is. So that would be the two things I would recommend. 
Okay, okay. Now we've uh, we've talked a lot about companies here. We've been talking for maybe twenty minutes so far. Uh, what about candidates? If we can quickly finish off with some quick advice for candidates potentially considering their next career move right now. Obviously, we've talked about how it's a candidate-driven market, but how can these candidates make sure they are getting the right next step for them? I mean, I. I got some controversial points on this potentially, but I mean, it depends on the candidate. I, I mean, if if they're in a candidate-driven market and then they and they're good at what they do, then they shouldn't really be struggling for interviews. So I, th- I think the advice is to the people who are struggling more is I think first of all, a lot of people get quite negative in their search. I think it's absolutely critical that people are positive in their approach and then if they get rejected then they can't just let that be held against them and the feeling of rejection is not good for any of us it's it built in our instinct from like a hundred thousand years ago it's it's part of our kind of brains that haven't quite evolved yet but uh, the people candidates have to fight that so if there's any candidate watching this who's struggling you really have to find a strategy yourself in terms of being positive with your search it's got to be relentless otherwise it will work against you. Um, on the bigger picture, I've done a lecture on this, but candidates have to work. I mean, the biggest thing I find is candidates need to work on their people skills. Mm-hmm. Like that's an, that's the main reason most people fail at interview. Isn't that they haven't got the skill? It's that they couldn't communicate themselves or sell themselves well. And I think too many people are too quick to blame the employer or blame superficial things rather than look inwards. And I think people forget that people skills is a skill. And I imagine, okay, there will be some people who are in their 40s, 50s who will maybe take it as an insult that their people skills aren't that great or aren't. But I think as a, gen- as a society, people skills are dropping everywhere, especially during the pandemic. If you're not seeing people daily, if you're not interactive, if you're not making new friends, if you're not doing presentations, if you're not doing public speaking, if you're not getting out there, if you're not like likable and generate these things if you're not using these skills you lose them it's just like if you don't go to the gym you'll lose muscle you'll it's just exactly the same concept so if there are candidates out there who are struggling i I will say i think people skills is something to look inwards and actually read the books how to win friends and influence people things like this and i guarantee if somebody reads that implements it they'll be interviewing way better in a month's time and they'll be having much better outcomes. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, obviously what Matt's saying is, is crucial. And I think Matt, you, you're giving a very good outlook or actually how to be a better human being, uh, not just a can, but I think that would be useful regardless. In my experience, what I've seen is because the talent shortage is so strong, I've seen candidates make two mistakes uh, consistently recently. One of them is forgetting that still humility is a very valued virtue. So coming to the interview, just thinking like, okay, I've got this skill, therefore I should be getting the job. Honestly, no employer wants that. Generally, like literally, even if you're a salesperson, being the most arrogant person in the room is not going to win you any friends, which again goes back to what Matt was mentioning. So I, Keeping humility, I just said that recently a, a medical director I place and uh, was the most humble candidate I've ever met. And it was phenomenal. Like four years old, already had incredible experience, but it was always humble. And that's what really charmed the employer. 
And the fact that you have seven different companies wanting you doesn't mean you're going to get the one you want if you're not keeping this in mind. The other very simple thing is I, I believe that generally uh, people tend to wing it. So there's not really that much preparation about what does a company do? What's their vision? All really, readily available information online or what are the people you're meeting? What have you got in common with them? Uh, and generally, even having questions, I mean, I reported from clients that no one is asking them questions uh, at the end of the interview. So, again, simple things that really show true interest. Again, you might still get the job anyway, but if you're performing better, chances are you get an even better job in the future as well. So this would be the two main things I would uh, suggest. Perfect. Okay, well, our time's almost up. So one last thing for me is to, to say thank you, guys. Thanks uh, for being our first guests on the show. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, for our listeners out there, if you have any questions for us, uh, questions for the guys on anything they've said, you can reach us via podcast at nonstopconsulting.com. You can find us on LinkedIn or find the guys themselves on LinkedIn, or you can check out our website, www.nonstopconsulting.com. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. 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 Bye.